Welcome to Lead Sex. Retail has been changing dramatically the last few years. With the growth of e-commerce, omnichannel, and many new technologies, the physical stores were challenged and more so during the pandemic. To survive, companies have to change and adjust. An amazing example of this is Padaria Portuguesa, a bakery and chain restaurant in Portugal that has been growing quickly to over 1,200 employees and 60 locations in Lisbon, and not only that, it's loved by its clients. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Nuno Carvalho, the CEO and founder, to discuss the biggest challenges he has faced, how he overcame them, and what's next. Nuno has been in the food retail industry for over 20 years. Previously, he worked as business unit director in Gironi Martins, a large international supermarket company, and was part of the list 40 leaders under 40. I am David Bernardo Santo, and I'll be joined today by our student interviewer, Antonia Wissenbach. We hope you enjoy it. Nunu, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I'm a big fan of yours, and we've known each other for quite some time now, and uh, we've been more in touch the last few years, and I think what you've achieved with Padaria Portuguesa, it's, it's very unique, not only in Portugal, but worldwide, and you've created something which I find fantastic, which is an amazing brand. You've been growing it. You've been facing like challenges like COVID. And can you tell us a little bit to start the conversation? What's your vision for Padaria Portuguesa? What is Padaria Portuguesa? A little bit about its, its history and, and we go from there. Okay. Uh, good morning and, and thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm very pleased to share uh, our story with you guys. Uh, so the, the company started uh, 11 years ago. So before Padre Portuguesa, I used to work for Gironi Martins Group, which is one of the most, the biggest retail, food retailers in Portugal. And so I, I played many roles in the company, uh, from marketing to operations, and, and I became board member super young, with 28 years old. I was that time in charge of the, a new business unit division they, they, they built up, or I built up, called Mill Solutions Unit Division. Uh, with the goal of developing ready-to-eat foods uh, in the company. And, and I had a very successful story personally and, and professionally in Gerani Martins. But one day I decided to build my own company. Uh, What was the driver? Well, actually, I, uh, in, in, during many years, I felt very fulfilled about that model, that corporate model of uh, having new responsibilities, new challenges, got promoted, having a new car, traveling, uh, that was very exciting. I, I, I understood that uh, wasn't uh, fulfilling myself more. From that, I, I start thinking what can bring the excitement in my, excitement in my professional life and career. And so uh, since I was so well treated and, and they gave me so many opportunities, I, I thought to myself, I'm not into moving to a different company or industry. So it's time because I got uh, competences and enough knowledge, let me jump into being an entrepreneur. And in that time, what I identified was an opportunity in this very embraced cultural habit in Portugal of going to a pasteleria, a snack bar, somewhere, whatever we call. So in the north, they call confeiterias, we call pastelerias in the south. But also you have like these kind of snack bars. It's a place where people go to mingle over a coffee. Uh, it's super embracing in, in our population habits and people from all walks of life, from old people to young people, fat people and thin people for eating or just to have a conversation with friends or having spending time with family, people go to these spots. And this, the offer at that time was very poor in the sense of consumer, meaning everything is uh, owned by families, meaning mom and papa stores, and they work very hard, and we all know that. And they are very good professionals, and we all know that. But we also know that there, there wasn't professional professionalized vision, vision for the business. So, of course, they worked like 16, 18 years per day, 10 hours per day. So it was obviously uh, hard work, but they were never able to, to think abroad, to, to, to see abroad, uh, to see in front of them. 
And that allowed a lot of brands to go in the business. So here in Portugal, if you go to a traditional pastry store, you'll have like brands like Água das Pedras, Coca-Cola, the Delta and other coffee brands playing a role in, in those uh, merchandisings. Uh, and I think that's this and also a reviewed model of the pastelaria that converted them in, into like a restaurant spot. So you go early morning to drink a coffee, you feel the, the fried onion with oil for the what we call refugado for the lunchtime. It's not nice. The pastry uh, was like, they, they quit from uh, baking from the scratch and they were buying most of the pastelerias buy from one central pastry bakery, that uh, pastry plant, I'm sorry, that's delivered to the whole city. So lack of differentiation in product as well. So with that, I identified this opportunity of creating a brand with a professionalized vision and to develop a chain. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry, just on that, because that's a really important thing that uh, that we speak about a lot, especially when we're talking about digital transformation. One of the things we say is like digital transformation doesn't actually make sense in the sense because digital is just another enabler for changing a customer experience. So basically, you start by the customer experience. Where did you start your process of transformation? Because I think that's really critical. So you saw an opportunity, you saw an area. And how did you start? Did you start by designing the experience or what was uh, now in retrospect? What was like, how did you do it? I'm trying to remember how it was, was uh, like almost 12 years ago. Just like but most actually, memories, just make it look, just make it sound nice. And it was so well planned and so well thought out. <laughs> no randomness at all. I've been taught being like uh, to be consumer driven. A food retail business like supermarkets give you a lot of good learnings because you can see what's happening on a, on a store level. So if you decide to develop this category of products, you go there and you see what happens, the reactions, the rotation of the item. And of course, you have the sales data and, and, and more consumer information. But at least you have the feeling of seeing and understanding what's happening in the moment. And that's very relevant for me as a business manager. And so what I did was I visited, I don't know, but thousands of spots uh, here in Portugal, in France, in Germany. So I was like analyzing the business and the consumers. What was happening that time in, in the pastelerias here in Portugal? How many staff was working there? How many items were they displaying the, the food displays? What kind of recipes? Is it a frozen item? Is it a not frozen item? Do they bake inside? Uh, and I was asking to a lot of people that work in, in the, behind the balcony, how many pastel nata are you selling per day? This is very good. How many items are you selling? I remember you, you telling me, I remember, sorry, I remember you telling me that you have the habit or you had the habit, I remember you telling me this a few years ago, every morning we just go and check a couple of places, right? Yeah, I still do that. So today I did three different stores. I visited three, three different stores because it's the way I feel more comfortable of uh, feeling the business. So I, I see the sales data. I analyze a lot of information. I have a, a very good team working with me. But I, what I really feel is that visiting stores and talking with store managers and analyzing the consumer, the client's movements and so on, what they are eating, what is left on the trays. It's the way I feel I'm, I'm being a good manager in a consumer perspective. So You just uh, mentioned that in the beginning, you also went to Germany, France, which are known for their bakeries. Do you have any particular change since, especially in France, that you have Paul, you have uh, Pain Quotidien. There are quite a few which are very elaborate and also represented worldwide. They're huge by now. Um, is there one particular chain where you say, oh, they're doing a great job, maybe somewhat of an idol that you look up to? Or is it more the mixture of several brands that you want to follow? Oh, um, yeah, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a good question. So, of course, when I visited a lot of different brands, uh, there were brands that were inspiring for my business and others that they weren't. And so it was good in that sense. So this I do not want. Uh, but I would say that I picked inspiration from many different brands. 
Pool is a very good example in a merchandising standpoint, definitely. I learned a lot and picked a lot of ideas from the way Paul was presenting the items in the court, the, the stores. Uh, also, uh, brands like Eric Kaiser um, in Paris, uh, because of the very close relationship with customers, say they, they on a store level, they do CRM without knowing it. But so it was like a very strong approach to and proximity to customer uh, for me. Uh, and all over the world, I, I, I traveled a lot with my working for Jerome Martins at that time. I got a lot of learnings also from the US. So they are very strong in doing retail marketing. And they have this, we call it here, Especialidade in Portugal, but uh, all the pastry stores, the, 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 the specialty item is pastel nata. So it's boring. So it's no special at all. So, but the, the Americans, they do a very good program, marketing program. They call a signature item. And you have for many different categories and they have a very strong narrative to the item. So, and I also learned from, from that. So what I did was like, of course, I, I went abroad to bring perspective to, to the brand I, I wanted to build up and also to pick some ideas. But I worked strongly in the, the brand personality uh, by its own. So I'm not doing, I'm not copying any, anything from anyone. Because what I did was like focus on Portuguese consumer in the beginning and bring ideas from uh, other examples. How, uh, so how was that process? How was that branding process you did? Because I think one of the things I see and I find so brilliant about Padaria is that, let's put it, it's a great brand in terms of design. It's sophisticated and everything, but it addresses its target market. So you see a lot of brands that they are just like very cool brands, but when you go on a mass market, they are a little bit not adjusted. So there's a little a difference between like creativity to market fit. A lot of that is, is lost. How did you manage to keep these like coolness, great taste, but also like a great market fit? So it's also a very good question. What I did in the beginning, and actually it's super nice because even yesterday I was talking with my younger brother. He's now in love with the organic wines and he wants, he's a strategic and copywriter for in an advertising company. And he was like, I want to, to go and to open a store of organic wines in Lisbon. And he was talking and I recommended, Vash, sit down, write down your ideas. Go and visit different wine bars uh, to bring perspective, to see what you want to do and you, what you don't want to do. What will be different from the others? In differentiation, it's critical for the business. For me, it's all about differentiation. So and what I did was like, I visit a lot of spots all over the country, many different countries as well. And I sat down to write down the vision for my company, the differentiation pillars, and the first steps to go. And when I defined the vision was mass market. So because I identified in, the, in this industry that these stores are visited for people, again, from all walks of life. Everyone goes to a pastelaria. Uh, and again, for functional reasons to eat or just to spend time, measure, uh, or to work now, nowadays. Uh, so uh, it was a business for everyone. And this, is, this means mass market. We go mass market. We are not going to a segmented business. We are not applying for niche consumers. Uh, and this was a very relevant first statement, very relevant. And actually it was very good because it was, I leveraged my professional experience to build up my business. Because if I decided to go to a very niche and segmented business, I won't be bringing the competencies I developed 10 years in Jerónimo Martins because they deal with mass market as well. So it was very nice because of that. But the, the reason why I decided to go mass market is because I felt the business fitted on mass market, not my competencies. After that, I decided I think there is a, a space for a chain because we are dealing with mass markets. So if it is to everyone, it should be spread it out all over the city. And I thought in the beginning, the city of Lisbon, of Lisbon. So I did a second statement. We will become a chain. 
So the business should be developed in order to be a chain. And then I started to define differentiation pillars for the company. And I set it down value for money. So we want to deliver high quality with an affordable price. And in our business model, that implied for us to have controlled or our bakery plan. That time I was being super responsible because I didn't know to manage an industry, neither a value chain, because I deal with supermarkets only, only the front part of the business. My intention was like to be to have had control of the quality of the item, know all the recipes, and to be efficient in a way that I would pass value to the consumer. So I was irresponsible because I'd never tried to do that. But actually, this vision was super, not a super relevant decision because we, we forced ourselves to find a model to be replicated in a fast way to pay the, the fixed cost of a production structure. The second differentiation pillar was like, I'm sorry, Antonio, do you want to do a question? No, no, if you have more pillars, keep going. I will ask the question. The differentiation pillar was, I defined, was like a very unique shopping experience and a very outstanding merchandising policy. It was easy that time because comparing to a traditional pastelaria, it was easy to do improvements. But it was probably the, one of the most relevant and, and strong brand moves that we did because we converted a, an old style and not nice place. It's everything, it's stainless steel and ugly tiles with a lot of brands inside. So it was easy to organize it. We did more. So we thought on the brand in like a multi, multi sensorial approach. So visually, of course, needed to be outstanding. That's why we have, instead of displaying the pastry and breads in, in those classical uh, stainless steel trays, we are doing it in baskets, traditional portraits and handmade baskets. Uh, also, we use umbar lights instead of the white ones of the traditional pastry stores. We had the brand, um, now the topic, I decided to go Portuguese. So here in Portugal, we, we have been in love with the, like the global brands since I was young, so on the 80s and 90s, we loved Gap, Ralph Lauren, and all those, those brands. The world became global. We all have those brands all over the, the city. All, all cities we visit, we'll find those brands, Gap, and so on. So in that, in my vision, in a consumer standpoint, was time to, to be Portuguese without being shy. So we all loved that time, tones of the, the floors in Lisbon, the hills of the city, you know, the, the Portuguese taste that was not relevant for us because we were impressed about the other countries were becoming values in our culture. Now I would say that we are much more than this fado and saudade culture. So we are a, a country that mingles with other cultures here now in Lisbon and all over the country. But uh, so the, the, the approach was like to bring, to, to develop a Portuguese brand with a, 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 an interception of traditional values and, and contemporary as well. And so that's why you have this floor, which is very super Portuguese, but not only, it's like the south of Europe, all the Mediterranean countries use this the French uh, referred to Carreau de Simon. You have a different approach, but the technique is the same and, and it's old style, traditional, artisanal. And we, we crossed it with like black wall on the back of the display, which means modernity in, in one way. So we did this, this balance and all, we also applied to have some music in the stores, the staff well, well uniformed, the professional approach to the consumer. Uh, and that was super different from what we, we still have in the Pastelidiation in, in Portugal. So this was the, the second pillar of differentiation was the super strong in the beginning because uh, after seeing the pack, clients got embraced with, a, with this value for money approach of the first pillar. But it was the, the outside packaging and also the inside, the shopping experience that convert customers into regular customers in my vision. And then they, they just, the, the products were of course high quality but the, the value for money perception was not the first pillar to be adopted by the consumers in my vision. It, doesn't, it didn't took that long, but it was like a, in the first year, visitors were more interested in the novelty than in the value for money of the proposal. The third differentiation pillar uh, I set it up was to be 
to develop a race relevant and super embraced in the habits of the local markets, local communities, to be the place where a mother would leave the key for the kids. And this means trust, and it's not easy to build. And we did a lot of, and we developed a strategy to, to, to deliver it, and we did a lot of initiatives local, local with a local church, with the local associations for food waste and so on. And so this is the way I started the company. It was like to set up a vision, to define the value proposal, differentiation pillars. This was the, the beginning. And of course, this was made during my work time in Giovanni Martin. So I was still having those responsibilities in the company. I was a board member responsible for, when I left, I was marketing director. So I was responsible for the marketing and commercial strategy of the company. And in food retail supermarket, it's super relevant because you are a sales-driven, marketing is a sales-driven, communication can influence a lot the sales and profitability. Uh, but I was still visiting the country because my responsibilities that time were national. So I was visiting facilities in Port, in Coimbra, in Peixe Parada Sintra, all over the country. Also, I visited other countries and every time I was visiting supermarkets, I entered in pastelarias and bakery stores in other cities. And I, I was bringing perspective, doing benchmark and taking decisions for my company. And one day I, I sat down and wrote this paper. This is what I, I was recommending to my brother yesterday. You know, coming back to the first pillar that you uh, mentioned, the mass market that you want to target. I think last year you opened your first store um, out of uh, Lisbon, so in Setubal. Is the first in Setubal. Yeah. Is that uh, your vision for the next year? Is that you want to expand all over Portugal? Or what are your plans for the future? Yeah, so uh, now we are talking about the future. Pre present slash future. So I, I need to give you a, a background of the, the, the past and, and the present to discuss the future. Uh, so what happened was, so we, we start, we implemented uh, these ideas and this value proposal in one store. It was super well accepted. We opened the second one. And since I was pressed, uh, pressured because of the, the, the production side of the business, uh, I needed to open more stores to pay and to, to at least generate uh, um, or achieve uh, uh, operational break-even. So fastly, we opened five stores. When we five stores, we were, we were able to breathe. And then after that, we decided let's develop a, like a, 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 an expansion strategy in that point, it was critical to standardize everything, to create process for everything. Otherwise, it would be a mess. And we did it very well. So we pressured a lot the, the, the back office of the company. So I was so excited with the consumer, with the acceptance, that I, one, one year, I, we, we jumped into open. So we opened two stores in the first year. We opened three stores on the second year. And on the third year, we opened 10. So it was super pressure for the company. But I, I, I myself, as, a, as a, a business manager, I'm always like this. It's first consumer, and then we'll, we'll have to solve the problem on the back. So but this discipline of, uh, of opening stores was super relevant to create the, 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 our current DNA of the company because agility is, is definitely with us. We are super strong implementing things. And this fast... No, 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 sorry to interrupt, but I think it's a, it's a really important thing that you're saying there because a lot of companies they have their leaders focusing on the consumer and they're doing everything and it's still a small operation and then when you scale it's just collapsed because like you don't have what works for you your key success factors because like something I'm always very impressed and I mentioned this to you in the past like when I saw it I was like first I was like okay maybe this is like very standardized And it's going to be a little bit like uh, the food, the quality and everything. When you start going on chains, you don't have like all that attention to detail. And then one thing I kept seeing as I went to different stores and the business, I was like, well, this is actually has amazing quality, amazing service. So it's a great example of how you scale a company. And you look into like very famous companies like Uber, for instance, and they have massive issues of quality and even safety when, when they grow. 
So what you think has been like, and you went from five and then you opened five in two years and then the next year you opened double what you opened the two previous years. What were your key success factors here that you think, okay, this is what we did right and what we did wrong? So I always uh, uh, say this, uh, I'm used to say this a lot of times. It's, it's, for me, it's always about consumer. If you bring a consumer culture to your company, consumer-driven way of managing a company, you will always find a way to serve properly the consumer. If you focus on the process and back office, you are no longer giving priority to the consumer. And if you really value the consumer, you need to be excellent in, in, in the deliveryness. So it's the way I see retail businesses. It's not a, 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 an exclusive way of managing the business. There is a lot of companies with a different approach. I don't see in my company a way to go different from, from this strategy, from this approach. How do you so allow actually, for I, experimentation in terms so that you don't have like a lot of mistakes that impact the consumer? We test a lot. Um, we do a lot of tests because we have that possibility in a very easy and cheap way. So perhaps if you are talking about a, like a, a juice brand, let's project Compal. Compal, if they want to develop, a, I don't know, papaya fruits or whatever, passion fruits mixed with banana, they need to develop the, they, they need to search for the products, uh, the raw material, they need to mix recipes, uh, they need to test it like expiring dates, they need to go and knock at the doors, they need to develop products, uh, packaging, all the marketing communication, they need to knock at all the supermarket stores to sell it, they need to go and, and send the team to sell to restaurants and facilities, and then you'll see that a consumer. So they, they, you need to change like the production lines for that specific product. And we are super easy with that because we have stores working on a daily basis and you can add a category, you can develop a new flow for the service and you are there analyzing what's happening. So we do that a lot of time. With this new stage, and I will start talking about that soon, uh, we, we did that. So, but to close, so the, the critical success for me, it's like very strong approach to the consumer, very consumer, it's definitely our priority. And since we want to give, deliver a good service to him, we find a way to manage the back office. Of course, we were kept conscious that we needed to standardize process, but we weren't, we are not definitely process oriented company. Okay. We are. Very interesting, especially in times nowadays where technology seems to be so crucial to everybody's business, really. Is it very represented in your company? Would you say that you rely heavily on technology or to what extent is it implemented in your supply chain, but also maybe CRMs? I'm definitely a banker. So I, 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 I'm very basic uh, analyzing information. I need very few numbers to 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 manage my company and uh i've been uh, i've worked in a company that uh, data was very well uh, managed and uh, technology was like a, a huge uh, priority for the business but i also saw that they only used five percent of the data that they produce and they are always in that cycle of we need more developments for the software because we need these, we need that, and you will never use the, 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 the developments for proper and to add value to the business. So I, I, I would say I'm, I'm a bit uh, radical on this because I really know that one day I need to, uh, we, I need to start bringing technology to, to, to bring efficiency. But in, in food retail business, the, the equation of efficiency, it's like sales per, per full-time equivalent. Uh, and, very and interesting since you said that uh, I think you'd like to grow more in Portugal. Do you think that's something that you need to start implementing technology in the next two years? Or is that something for really far away? In Portugal, of course, we have software. But I would say that so the, the, the company, we, we, we manage it until the cents. So it's not high numbers. We sell copies and the, the price we charge is 65 cents. So, of course, we have a very deep control of the stocks and, and all the store managers can, can take like 30% of their uh, like fixed income on a variable one if they achieve profitable 
profitable goals. But soft, the, the current software and, and the simple Excel sheet are enough for us to do this. And I visit many, for instance, companies and bakery plants. I visited in, in Germany and in the US a lot. And I saw, do you know, have you heard about Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. So seven years ago, six years ago, they were managing a huge, very huge, huge, huge bakery plant using an Excel sheet. Of course, we developers, we did a very easy way. Like we manage our, our like financial, personal financials. What I feel is like uh, those issues bring more weight to the company. And, and again, it's bringing consumer to, to a lower position and I want him to be on the top. Yeah, it's very refreshing. It's actually very refreshing to hear this because like I, I see often in all these companies exactly this thing. It's like, oh, let's go for big data. And it's like, yeah, it sounds great, but you don't even use small data. And it's like you're producing all this information that what are you going to what decisions are you going to be able to make with this information you're taking? And of course you can go into AI and a CRM and all these things, but You have to start with the basics. And if you don't have the consumer, and, and I think it's true, like it ends up being not a process, but it ends being an end game in itself, technology. Let me go again over it and again over it. And you focus so much on all these things that you forget about the client often and the results and the return on investment is, is not that high. Not taking the role of technology, which is critical, but understanding why you need all the, the data and technology for it. We have a software which is a brand name is Sage, so it's, it's like a, a SAP competitor, and we yeah. use this. All the, the, the business units in the company. Of course, we have uh, we analyze sales data, but what I say, actually, we are reading all of our like financial reports mm -hmm. because imagine. So what I'm in, currently what I'm interested in is what is the like for like sales comparing currently comparing to 2019. When are we going to get back at the same level of 2019? And I see a, a daily report in my company with also the brand which is ready to eat brands we launched during the pandemic, but also in so, so much information. And yesterday I realized that they were producing it with, with a lot of mistakes. The information was not accurate. accurate yeah. And no one noticed in a company that probably 100 people are, are opening that email. Mm -hmm. So why are we producing that information if nobody sees it? Yeah. What is for our managers to, to observe, to, to take advantage of that information? You just gave a great transition with 2019 to pre and post COVID. Maybe we want to talk a bit about that. How did it hit you? I saw that um, or I read that you now also sell your pastries with Uber Eats and Glovo. Was that an ad hoc decision or was it direct direction response to COVID? What was the process there? We have uh, currently 59 locations in the Great Lisbon area. Uh, the city is very tiny, so it's impossible not to bump into one of our stores. That's why we become like a convenience brand, not a destination one, because It's an easy solution. You trust it's everything the same and in, the, in all the stores. So it's trustable. It's easy to, to use. Having stores spread it out all over the city, pre-COVID, I thought this way, we don't need an extra mile. We don't need anyone to take our products to consumer consumer's house because mostly we are dealing with like espressos, breakfasts, combos, sandwiches, not easy to, to, to order because it's cheap in a store level, but using through a platform, buying through a platform would be expensive compared to the retail prices. This was the way we thought pre-COVID. So with the, the pandemic and streets empty of people, of course, we decided we need to, to do it. And actually there were months that, uh, The delivery represented like almost 18% of our sales, and we never closed the stores. So it was relevant. 
But again, uh, I think that uh, the business model of those platforms are not defined yet. They don't make money. And the players, probably 80% of them don't make money as well. What we did that time was like we convinced them to create new prices for the platform because before they didn't allow this. There's, there was a way for us to integrate their margin in the price that we are charging to the consumer. So you're profitable when selling over Global or Uber? Yeah, we are profitable. Of course, currently the digital platforms weight in our sales are like seven, between seven and eight percent, and profitability is very tiny. But I would say that it's a way, it's a, a tool for people to buy. Sometimes you go to the store, sometimes you order online, sometimes you use the brands app. So it's a multi-channel approach, and it's simply stupid not to be in the to 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 make customers like easy in this way. So but we yeah, are again not like doing... customer centricity. What you already said. Yeah. So it's definitely uh, because of consumer. It's not like it's a business. It's a, a business challenge for us. It's not a business challenge. And it's um. I've, but I, I've and and in terms of the experience in your store, you make that the experience is not just about the product; it's also about like the whole environment and experience is actually pleasant. In terms of, it's like it's very different if you do it from um, like when you go there, and I think it's a little bit what Starbucks has tried to do and several companies. It's like if you if you're ordering an espresso and you're ordering a pastelled nata, for instance. If you're just ordering the product, then delivery it's fine. But if you're selling also the experience, you know what? It's just like that. Those five minutes I have for me, or the break, or seeing other people, and so on, you're creating a, a differentiation that um, that makes sense in terms in terms of experience. Now, tell me something. Sorry, just to go back a little bit because I think it integrates and go back to your train of thought. You're talking about the past, then you're talking about present, and I think COVID comes a lot into the present and into the whole experience that you're you're going through right now, and and then going to the future of the of the trends. If you want to get back to it about your experience, okay. So COVID was of course a huge impact in the company, like all the restaurant business all over the world, it was the most unpredictable and global event probably we will ever live in, in our lives. But so we, we survived. We, we changed a lot of uh, the way we were approaching our commercial strategy. We did like in and outs every weekend to stimulate sales. We converted in, in one of the lockdowns, we converted the, the Portuguese bakery into the, the, the Portuguese grocery. So we started selling, we started selling like uh, cheese and eggs, uh, oranges per kilo and so on. So we adjusted our business. I spent one and a half year away from the business as, the, as the, the position of the CEO for personal reasons. My goal was like to deal with personal issues. And when I started to work in the company again after four months, I decided to keep the same CEO, which was the former director of logistics and production. So a super processes oriented guy. My very good partner, business partner for many years, 20 years. So we used to work together in Johnny Martinez. We know each other very well. He knows he was working for the company the last six years, I believe, or seven. I was, I, I trusted him. My goal was like to work on the uh, development side of the business because the daily basis can bring you down a lot of times, down in the sense of dealing with like, very small product problems, but you need to deal with it and take decisions about that. And since I was the founder, so the, the, all the issues were managed by me in the beginning. And it was like tough to release the other managers to do that. So when I came back, thank God I had the, an outside perspective of the company. And uh, I looked at the market. I, I, I always look, but that way uh, in a different perspective. So uh, without being blocked and pressured by the daily issues. So, and I thought that, uh, so from 2017, we were like losing transactions. A lot of food concepts arrived in Lisbon in the last five years. I'm not talking about bakeries or pastries or coffee shops. I'm talking about restaurants in general, food offer in general. 
So the supermarkets created new concepts and you have Mini Preço Express, you have Aldi entering the city center with like a very strong takeaway offer, ready to eat, grab and go approach. You have uh, brunch spots, Amelia, Nicolau, Pomova, Dia Breakfasts, all those concepts. You have brands and, and concepts specialized in coffee. Uh, in Sombent, you have Hello Christophe, The Mill, uh, Royal Brownness, all those brands. You have José uh, Vilege, the one-star Michelin chef, opened a chain of restaurants. So he democratized like chef's foods to uh, a middle class in Portugal. He opened 25 locations in the Great Lisbon area with different, among different concepts. So this is happening a lot since the last five years. And uh, our pockets is this size and you need to share and need to manage it properly. And so this, this, this meant we, we were losing transactions because of the competitive environment. And also because I think in perspective to these news players, we lost like freshness. We were super fresh in the beginning comparing to the traditional bakeries, but the markets moved and it's different now. We are not competing with the old style pastry stores. We are competing with the whole market and it changed a lot. So what is now good food is different than it was five years ago. So the standards, is very high and different. And they brought new references and ingredients and recipes and presentations to Portuguese middle class. Also, they are very well prepared business managers that can from any different industries, design, arts, films, industry, and so on. So they are global people with very good aesthetical skills. So the spaces are all super beautiful the architecture, the furniture. So once again, so we were super fresh comparing to the traditional pastry stores. We are no longer fresh comparing to these amazing spots that are opening in all neighborhoods in Lisbon. Yeah, that so, brings me to some trends that you can read when reading about grocery market, which are like uh, being sustainable, having organic products, uh, local products. How do you integrate all those new trends, which are really relevant, especially to younger customers or just to customers nowadays, what you said compared to five years ago? How do you integrate those new trends into your own chain, into Pastareia? Well, it's a very good question. What I felt uh, and I still feel is like uh, took a lot of time to the mass markets in Portugal aim for those principles, for those way of living models, but now they've adopted it very fast and they, we are still adopting it in a very fast way. But it was in the beginning, so imagine like four years ago, we opened our 60th store, uh, we call it Lab. And in that store, we launched a category of artisanal bread made with Miller's flour and long fermentations. We had those recipes ready to launch since our third year of existence. But we, do, we did some tests in stores and Portuguese consumers didn't like that bread, which was the traditional ones that our grandmothers used to eat. But so the, the industrial era here in Europe was very strong, like in the US. And so only the Yalits that time were able to, to adopt these, these uh, new trends. People didn't like that acid bread. People were used to eat like very soft bread that only lasts for two hours, but it's, it was okay for them. So it took a lot of time, but now what I feel was like it was too fast, probably with the influence of all these players, new generation. So uh, when I launched my brand, I was uh, 32 years old. Uh, now I've, I'm 43. So my nephews were like two years old, five years old and eight years old. One is 18, so it's a man. So he decides whatever he wants to eat. And, and so uh, the market also grow. Uh, generations jump into different generations of decision of decide, deciders. So this being said, so from the market we have declined curve for, for our, from our transactions. That, in my vision, was because we lost freshness and we were lost updateness to the market comparing to these new comers, these players that are embracing the city in the country. Meaning uh, no, also um, we. Just, just uh, on that, 
how do you keep yourself from falling on the trap of your own success? You're a very successful guy. You've done an amazing brand. You have a great career, several other aspects that you are considered a, a successful person by society standards. Let's just put it uh, like that. A lot of people would fall trap and, and then change happens and then they don't realize. So you're talking about all these trends that I would love to continue for you to continue. That's what are the trends that you're seeing. But how don't you fall trap? It's like, hey, I'm already like doing great and I don't need to change. So how do you keep yourself fresh and, and updated? So actually, if, if you ask me that question, that, that question like uh, eight years ago, I, I think I wasn't ready to, to answer back, to respond. But, but now I am because I, 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 I'm, I'm much more aware about myself than I was that time. And, and I use uh, like uh, therapy tools. So my therapist and I, we are working together for the last uh, seven years, probably. And it's very relevant because you as a, the last and the final decider of a company, even if you have the best team with you, you will be and feel very lonely a lot of times. Very lonely. This loneliness... It's, it's lonely at top. The book by Paul Quinn. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, definitely. It's, it's because you have your decision will impact, first of all, in a lot of families that work for your company and also for the, in the, in the, the market, uh, in the consumer. But uh, what, I, what I realized about myself was like, first of all, I'm 80% of myself naturally. I'm super, super positive and I'm a dreamer without doing anything. And I was born like this. The other 20, I fight for that. I want to be happy. I want to achieve good, good goals, personal and professional. So I, I, I work on that. I make a lot of effort. I take a lot of risk. And... To, to finalize my answer, I, I, I'm definitely a risk taker. And I think this is the difference between an entrepreneur and a very good business manager, because I'm always ready to take risks. I'm always ready to be out of my comfort zone. It's the opposite. I'm on, only happy when I'm not in my comfort zone. Process, it's what excited me. It's what fulfilled me. And of course, uh, in most of my decisions, not the simple ones, but the, the ones with impact in the long term or medium term, uh, I, did, I did good decisions. Uh, it's an extreme sport. It's an extreme sport, being an entrepreneur. You have to like the adrenaline. If not, if not, it doesn't make sense. You've mentioned something, and we'll go back to, to the trends. I want to be respectful of your time. Just a couple more questions. You mentioned therapy, like that's something that a few years ago was very almost like, it's like strong people on power, they don't need like this support system and all these things. You mentioned therapy. We are talking about, about spirituality in companies, like on the podcast, we have an episode on the role of spirituality and self-development in companies. So another one that is the rise of psychedelics and everything that is happening from psilocybin to mushrooms to ayahuasca to, to all these things. What were the tools uh, that you're comfortable about speaking that, that you used to find like this awareness and how did they help you? I, I define myself as a fighter. And it comes from my personal life. Like, you know, I also have problems, issues, family issues, problems, good moments and very bad moments. We've been through recently a very uh, sad story, uh, family story. Since I am 80% of myself naturally positive, I, I, I naturally find a way to, to react. Uh, on the other side, the other 20, uh, I, I understood that... Uh, I'm, I'm a human and having all this pressure and feeling lonely a lot of times in my professional career, in my company, in my decisions, I was aware of that and I, I, I created tools to help me to feel better with myself, to understand and to, to be more, more confident about my decisions. Uh, so I, I have a team of people that support me. It's like my therapist and it's a work. It's, it's like I'm very, once per week, since the last seven years, I, I, I think I jumped once. Whatever I am, if it's in Portugal or not, I, I stopped uh, because of that. 
I exercise early morning, 7 a.m., uh, at least Thursday, uh, three days per week with a personal trainer. So this is a very good team for me, therapy and exercise with a personal trainer. Because they know me, they are participating in, in my process of growing. So I, I, feel, I feel very uh, much more well-prepared as a person as, uh, and, and also as a business manager, as an entrepreneur with this team of people. With this methodology of frequency of approach for therapy and frequency of approach for exercise, we all know that exercise is very relevant for the well-being, for health and also to create like um, um, routines to force you to, yeah. to organize your life. To what extent do you feel like you have become a better leader, maybe also for your employees and for your companies due to that process? Or does, has it reflected at all? Um, has it had an impact on your company, on your employees? Yeah, I, I do believe yes. Not in a very metrical way, I would say. I'm not saying I, my EBITDA grow one point percent because of that. <laughs> But I think that I can deal uh, in a very more effective way with like different personalities, identify when when uh, uh, one of my managers is like not comfortable or what are his or her concerns. So I think I, I, I have more elasticity, elasticity to understand these kind of situations because I do uh, myself. Would you credit mm. the corporate culture of your company to the success? Is it something that you may, yeah. that you think Do you credit the corporate culture of your company to its success? Do you think that the way people behave, that employees are with one another, um, is a reason why your company is so successful? Uh, no, no. We have to be respectful of your time. And I know you're going to go into... Eating in the middle of the Yeah. So just, uh, just one, uh, one, last, um, one last question. How do you see yourself in Padaria Portuguesa five years from now? What's your vision? I'm, I'm the founder. I am the current CEO and, and I'm one of the most relevant shareholders and the shareholder structure is family. Uh, it's family of mine. My older brother has an old man. And they don't work for the company. They don't work in an industry and they trust uh, in the family member. Uh, I defined when I uh, jumped into the CEO position again five months ago, was like, I, I set it uh, three main goals. First of all, to do an upgrade of the brand. So we were not in the right position uh, to achieve good results in my vision. Second, I want to bring the brand abroad Lisbon. That's why we did the testing too well, to understand how a city outside close to Lisbon, but without like economical independence, because they have how they will accept the brand. And third, to find the next CEO for the company, which is probably the hardest task of these uh, three goals. So after I achieve this in the next two to three years, I can decide what I will do with my life. I can stay as the president of the company and be in charge of the business development and to ensure that the, uh, the CEO and the team execute the plans. I, in, in, in that perspective, is to, to bring the company into another level, to double turnover probably or profits, or I can be only shareholder and to dedicate myself to different things, whatever things are. So I, I didn't decide yet. So uh, actually, currently, I'm super excited about this transformation we are doing towards consumer again. And we are in the process of uh, impl start implementing the changes. So on the coffee, we are going organic. So we selected the blends, we developed the blends uh, for different origins, origins for us. It's India, Congo, Honduras, and Peru uh, with a specific toast. And all the coffee beverages will be uh, using the, this raw material. We were already using like Mueller's flour for our artisanal breads, which were, which are like five varieties on a daily basis, but we decided to cut uh, on the source of buying industrial flour. So in our company, from the first week of November, all the stores, all the items we sell in store are made with Miller's flowers from a miller called Pauline Water located in Malikia. 
So we visit all the fields of um, agricultures that produce cereals for us. We know them by name. I know them. They, I have their phone numbers in my, my cell phone. And uh, we are doing a lot of different initiatives, but the three main pillars of the transformation is organic coffee, Miller's flour, and circular economy. So since the beginning, we are very focused on the food waste, and we work with many different associations. Actually, we unblock a lot of uh, even legal uh, issues. So I, I, like probably eight years ago, I went to, to the parliament to present a new law uh, to allow restaurants to send to associations and families uh, wasted food, because that time it wasn't possible because of food safety reasons. So we invested a lot on that, but we are bringing circular economy to a different level. We will start with a very sexy story with a very uh, interesting project. There is this guy, probably you have heard about him, called Nathan. He's Belgium, and he came, he came to Lisbon to study in Catholica University for his master, and he created a company called Mushrooms. And from coffee leftovers, he creates mushrooms. And in the great, the great Lisbon area, we for sure are the company with more coffee leftovers. And our leftovers will be from organic coffee, coffee from organic farms. And what is interesting, it's like 90% of the organic matter of a leftover, it's still there. So when you take an espresso, you only use 10% of it. So all the nutrients are there still. So with the coffee leftovers, we are bringing mushrooms to our stores in integrating salads, sandwiches, and salty snacks. This is very nice because Nathan, he's a, he's a visionary, definitely. You will, all of us will get in love with him. But what I feel that my, our company uh, plays an in, in interest role in this is like currently he's selling to these uh, fine dining restaurants that we are not allowed to go on a daily basis and most population will never be. And us being a chain can become this relevance and can create this culture of bringing the economy to be circular, to avoid waste of food, waste of furniture, waste of, waste of everything. So it's like a way, a new philosophy, a new approach to the market. So we are changing cars of the supervisors to bicycles. They are not happy still, but they will be. <laughs> and if they are not happy, they can go to a different company and we will attract people that identify themselves with our new uh, culture um, that we want to create and this is the story but it's much more than that so on dairy items we decided to buy only local Zoris they have amazing fields very well critiqued out the, the milk is very good like talking about lettuce and salad items we are buying local from not more than one hour away from our locations around Great Lisbon area we are only using a bio X. Uh, from the first week of November. And this transformation is not only materialized in the assortment and in these principles. We are changing the brand image as well. So we are starting uh, to enter in stores and we'll close it every store two days to transform it. We are using like we hired architects, of course, to develop this project. We selected with them like very Portuguese materials uh, like uh, ceramics, uh, uh, Portuguese azulejos with a lot of materiality. You can touch, you can feel. We are also defining a new communication strategy. So the approach won't be so focused on, on sales. We'll be much more focused on this philosophy. So less commercial, more principles. Less price, more products. It's the way we are approaching them, this yeah. new business. No, of no. course, we are in digital world in here, but as a, my, again, from the consumer standpoint, not as a new channel, not as a philosophy because we want to be digital guys. No, it's because if consumer needs, of course, we, we will deliver it. It's, it's an enabler of the, of the customer excellent experience. Sorry? It's, a, it's an enabler of the customer's excellent experience. 
not a, yeah. not a goal. Nunu, thank you so much. There's so much. I always love speaking with you and, uh, and seeing your vision. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I would love to follow like on our next season with how the transformation went and how the whole process went, because I think it, it's so interesting to see both your personal and professional transformation and how they come and how they play into, into this vision. And I would love to follow up this, this episode on the next season, understanding, okay, how did all this go through? Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure. And uh, we are on the limit of time. I hope you make it on time to your next meeting. Antonio, thank you so much as well. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Next week, we'll be back with another episode of Lead Sex. This time, talking of how to be a functional, hyperactive person. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email x at leadsadventures.com Twitter and Instagram at leadsadventures and LinkedIn leadsadventures leads is L-I-T-S and stands for life is too short LeadSex podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Souza, Janos Geyer Lillian Marie Friedrich Sigurd Coles and David Bernardo Santo please remember that more than providing answers Lead Sex Podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested, confirmed, or approved, so please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution.